Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Open your Bibles, open the Word of God, open the Book of Truth, open your hearts to what the Lord would share with us this morning. As we turn our attention to the second portion of a study I've entitled, The Tree. And as we think on this, again, I would ask that you simplify this passage And make it about you. Let's make it about us. Let's make it about me and you together. As the Lord speaks to us from the cross. Jesus has just been nailed to the tree. And now he's going to speak from the tree. What would he say? What would you have expected out of God incarnate and human flesh to be the words that would come from the cross? What would your words have been? What would you have said were you dying for someone else's sin? Incredible the words of Jesus as we begin in verse 34 as we finish up here in Luke 23. Jesus on the tree. Would you pray with me? Father, forgive us for the times that we fail to see your amazing grace. When we fail to walk in it and preach that truth. Lord, we pray that you would speak to your church this morning. Lord Jesus, you spoke these words in front of a mixed multitude. And today we listen with the ears of the same. We've not all come from the same background. We're not all the same race. We didn't grow up in the same neighborhoods. Some of us even speak different languages, and yet, Lord, the one message that we all need to hear is the message you are going to speak from the cross. And so speak to us, our ears are open to hear what the Spirit would say, in Jesus' name, amen. And then Jesus said, Sometimes it's actually hard for me to read these words. When I make it personal, when I think about me, when I listen to these words in the first person, they're hard to hear. Not because they're not the most wonderful words that have ever been uttered on this planet. 
Here it is. These are the most wonderful words that have ever been uttered on this planet. Because I don't, I don't deserve the forgiveness. I don't deserve the grace. I can't earn it. I shouldn't receive it. I think on my own life, my own failures, my own inabilities. And Jesus says to me and to you, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And then they divided his garments and cast lots. How quickly the world skips over the most beautiful words ever uttered on this planet. Immediately going back to their own selfish ways. This is inconceivable love to me. I have a tough time personally hearing these words. I don't know how many of you have gone through things in your life where you ask the why questions. Lord, why me? Why this? Why now? How come? I don't deserve this. But I want you to notice where Jesus speaks from. He speaks from his love for you. His love for me. Not for a moment. There's no indication here that Jesus all of a sudden started thinking about everything he had gone through and what it cost him. In his final hour, final hours, final three hours on this earth, he's thinking about you, me. That was his first thought. And so Jesus takes on the the role that Job saw in Job chapter 9. Job was being, in essence, chastised by the Lord. And and Job cries out, who is going to be the daysman? Who's going to be the mediator? That question actually is answered in Acts chapter 4. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. There is no mediator between God and man except the man Christ Jesus. There's one. There's one mediator. The mediator of my salvation is Jesus Christ, my Lord. And Jesus says to me and to you, Father, forgive them. And I have to believe that in this moment, literally the wrath of God is averted by the prayer of Jesus for me. Because were I Elohim sitting in heaven at that time, I don't know that I would have restrained myself against the world that killed my innocent son. But God, hearing the cry of his own son, Father, forgive them. God the Father stayed his hand. The sinless sacrifice that was made for you and made for me in that moment, church. 
In that moment, Jesus was crying out for your own personal salvation. The them there is all humanity. Not just the people watching. It's every bit of mankind throughout history. Going all the way back to the garden. Wasn't just going forward. Because there were people waiting in Abraham's bosom to hear these words. Church, these words. Because up to this point, there was no permanent forgiveness. Jesus, the sinless lamb, had to die on Calvary's cross to take care of that debt. And he's about to do exactly that. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, or in verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, for me. That we might become the righteousness of God. You see, until Jesus said, Father, forgive them, until he gave up the spirit, which he's going to do, my sin remained. Your sin remained. The sins of the Old Testament saints remained. They were unpaid for. The debt was not canceled yet. There was the potential, but the debt remained. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Amen? The guiltless dying for the guilty. That's what it's always been. You have never done anything to warrant your own salvation. Not one thing have you done that causes any of your salvation to be about you. It's always been about the guiltless one dying for the guilty one. I'm the guilty one. Hebrews 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest. What a beautiful picture. We're going to the book of Hebrews next, by the way. What a beautiful picture. Because who put Jesus on trial? The high priest of Judaism, Annas, Caiaphas, they weren't such a great high priest. But we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And let us hold fast to that confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet, here it comes, without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Church, the only reason you can come boldly to the throne of grace is Jesus Christ died for you personally on Calvary's cross. It's the only reason... You could not come boldly to this point. You came with fear. You came with trepidation. 
You came with agony. You came with sacrifice. You came into the Holy of Holies as the high priest, fearing for your own life. Until Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The high priest would come into the Holy of Holies and confess first his own sin, the sin of his family, his extended family, and then the people of Israel. And God would listen at the mercy seat. And God would put away that sin. He wouldn't act on it. But until Jesus asked for your forgiveness from his Father, that Sin remained. Now it's gone. Your sin is gone. It's remembered not as far as the east is from the west. It's put behind the back of Almighty God so that he does not even see it. When he sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Church, this is one of the most glorious passages in all the Bible. We could stop on this one verse and just break into loud praise. God, thank you for saving me, forgiving me. But what do we find the people doing? We find the people doing exactly what the world does today with the simplicity of the gospel. We find a mocking multitude. And church, I want to take a moment and I want to point you to what this clearly says. As you look at what's happening here, do not become like one of these people. The gospel is eternally and always simple, it is not complex. There is no special way to deliver an altar call. There is no special prayer to receive Christ. There is just Jesus, the Savior, and you. Amen? And the people stood looking on, and even the rulers with them, Sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. There are still people today that believe if Jesus was really God, he should have come down off the cross. He should have done something else. And the soldiers also mocked him. So you have the people, that is a general term for the crowd. You have the rulers, the same ones who ask for Jesus to die, and you have the soldiers, the ones tasked with carrying out the death of Jesus, who mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then notice the side note, and there was an inscription also written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. This is some sardonic way of, Pilate basically snubbing his nose at the religious leaders of the Jewish people saying, here's your king, 
Here's your king. They mocked him as a savior. They stand there looking at him. Let me be clear. Jesus could have saved himself instantaneously. Matter of fact, if he didn't want to be nailed to the cross, if every human being on earth gathered together with a single task to keep Jesus nailed to the cross, had Jesus not desired to die on Calvary's cross, all of humanity, all of its weaponry, every military power on earth could have conspired together against the King of Kings and Jesus could have just said, not happening. But the fact of the matter is he desired to give his life a ransom for you. He wanted to die for you. That's how much he loves you. Don't miss that point. He could have called 12 legions of angels. Can you imagine if one angel wipes out 185,000 of the encampment of the Assyrians? What could 12 legions, 72,000 angels gathered together, what could they do? All of humanity would have simply fallen over dead if Jesus didn't want to give his life a ransom for you. The iron nails wouldn't have held him there. The ropes wouldn't have held him there. Rome wouldn't have held him there. The Jewish people and their leaders would not have held him there. He could have left at the Mount of Transfiguration. He could have gone at Gethsemane. He could have just simply vanished before Annas and Caiaphas. He could have done anything he wanted to do. But what did he want to do? Die. In your place. And so they mocked him. They came to him. That sign. Mind-boggling. Because when you think about it, the language of the ruling government was Latin. So it was in Latin. Rex Judeorum hic est. King of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews in Latin. So that everyone who was interested, everyone who thought government was the answer to government, the Christ says, here's the king of the Jews. To the intelligista, the intellects of the day, the Greeks, the Stoics, the philosophers, the highly educated ones. The Romans were fairly educated. The Greeks were highly educated. In Greek, this is the king of the Jews. And to the Hebrews themselves, the world's only monotheistic religion. Everywhere else in the world, pantheism ruled. Many gods some good, some bad, some downright evil. To religion, one message, king of the Jews. Why did it say that? Because the only scriptures at this time were the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament looked forward to the coming king, the Messiah. Here he is. To the government, here's the king. To those learned people 
here's the king. To the religious people, here's the king. But the Jews rejected him. Can I remind you that one day he's coming back as the king, as the Lord of Lords. On this day he died as the lamb. He will not be coming back the same way. He paid the price one time. That was enough. When he comes back, he will be coming back as the rightful deed holder of this earth. In glory, majesty, power, splendor, and he will be wielding a sword that will come out of his mouth and he will deal a death blow to sin itself. Make no mistake, though Jesus gave his life a ransom for many, he will come back as the ruling king. The next stage in this three-act play as we see some truly guilty men, men of guilt, if you will, And then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him. They literally began to curse about Jesus. We're not informed exactly of how he went about this, but it wasn't good. But what we do know is he said this, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Church. You do not get to dictate the terms of your own salvation. In order to receive salvation, you must cry out for forgiveness and mercy, and you need to turn away from your sin. There are two thieves. They make two very different decisions. They will have two very different destinations. There are two roads on which they can travel. One goes one way, one goes the other. But the other answering, and it appears that he's actually answering his fellow criminal. Speaking to that which is going on even in the crowd, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? seeing that you are under the same condemnation. You see, you have to come to terms with the fact that you're guilty in order to be saved. It's called repentance. Lord, I'm sorry, I'm guilty. You were right. I admit you were right. I was wrong. I repent. But we indeed justly. In other words, he's saying, I am actually guilty. This criminal is clearly making a profession. He is guilty and deserves to die. We receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Two criminals, two roads, two choices. Two eternal destinations. And then he said to Jesus, here it comes. Lord. To we who believe Jesus Christ is Lord. 
That's the cry of our heart. Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm no longer my Lord. The world is not my Lord. The devil's not my Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. It's a very simple profession of faith, but it's an absolute necessity. You cannot cry out for Jesus as Savior without declaring him also Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Philippi, made that clear. That's the reason every knee will bow. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can we for a moment extrapolate this out to what Jesus did not say? Man, I'm really sorry, I'd love to save you, but you can't get baptized. I'm really sorry, but you can't go through our discipleship class. I'm really sorry, but you can't go to our new believers class. I'm really sorry, but you can't ever tithe. I'm really sorry, but no church will give you the right hand of fellowship. I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry, but, 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 the church says, this is how somebody gets saved, so I'm really sorry, not going to happen today. You're going to have to perish eternally. Do you notice what Jesus says? Not do this, not do that. He says, upon your public profession that Jesus Christ, me, Jesus is saying, I am your Lord, today you will be with me in paradise. Can I have an amen? Amen. It is that simple. And this is what literally infuriates me when I see people protesting things like harvest crusades or men's conferences, or this church holding signs. It actually makes me angry because people are being dissuaded that you can simply invite Christ into your life and you're actually saved when the Bible says you absolutely can. Just invite Jesus into your life and you will be saved. That's all there is to it, church. That's not to be critical of other ways that that can happen. But you're no more saved by coming forward to an altar call than you are calling on the name of the Lord. You are not more saved because you went to a new believer's class. You're not more saved because you received the right hand of fellowship into a body. You are not saved because of any of those things. You are saved because you have invited Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. And that's the only reason you are saved, and it is also the only way you can be saved. So don't get that part confused. Because if we make it about how one makes that profession, well, they didn't go forward. I have received dozens of emails from people, and I'll just leave their churches out of it. Well, you know, you don't invite people to come forward all the time. And I write back, I said, and neither did Jesus. (laughs) 
You know what happens? They don't have an answer for that one. I receive phone calls. Well, you know, what steps do you take to bring people into membership in the church? Can anyone give me a single verse in the entire Bible that even talks about church membership? Oops. Now, it's not saying church membership is bad. It's not saying that an altar call is bad. It's not saying that if you do certain steps, we always invite you to go to the prayer room. Make a public profession of that faith. Tell, something you re- tell someone you receive Christ. These are important steps, but here you have the bare minimum necessity for receiving Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. That was sufficient to save the thief on the cross. It is still sufficient for anyone today. There is no other necessity save professing who Jesus is and believing that he alone can save you. Could this man do anything about his own salvation? No. Could he get baptized? No. Could he read the Bible? No. Could he join a church? No. You get it? Keep it simple, church. Because in complicating the methodology whereby someone gives their life to Jesus, you are keeping people from giving their life to Jesus. Don't do it. Jesus made it simple intentionally himself, personally. Leave it simple. If you want to have an altar call, have an altar call. The Holy Spirit leads you to do that. Praise God. But it is not the only way people get saved. It is not the necessary way that people get saved. It is one of many ways that people make a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. This man simply said it, and he was. In the Gospels, we see Jesus as the sovereign king. We see him as the servant. We see him as the son. But here in Luke, we see him primarily as the savior The Savior wants to save, church. That's why he came. That's why the church's mission still is the same as it was during the early first century church. It's still to see people come to saving faith in Christ. Don't miss that. There's no more important thing we can do. It's wonderful that we're taking meals to the Carson Sheriff's Department, and to hospitals, and to nursing homes, and we're caring for the poor, and we're ministering to people who don't have. We're in the mission field. We're on it. We're doing all these things. All those things are wonderful, and they are also ways to tell people about Jesus so they can meet him and be saved. But the mission is to see people come to know the Savior. That's what the church is actually about. Now we grow in Christ. We learn who he is. Our lives are shaped. Our culture is shaped. All of those things are subsequent. They're secondary to preaching the gospel. Don't miss that. Because if you share with people something other than the gospel, and they don't ever get saved then their religious knowledge is no different than that of the Jews. No different than the mind of the Greeks and no different than the government of the Romans. Preach the gospel. That's what we've been called to do. 
with our very lives. That's what Jesus did. This man confessed his own guilt and the Lord's own innocence. Can I just tell you, a no more unlikely scene has ever unfolded in all of human history. This is not how I would do it. You see, now having said what I've said, how would I do it? I would bring in a gigantic news crew and television cameras, and we would broadcast live all over the world. I would do all of these other things. I would have PowerPoint slides up. Here's what you need to do to get saved. You know, I might even list a whole bunch of things that Christians aren't supposed to do. Been to churches like that? Now look, let me be really clear. If you are a believer, you are supposed to live a life that is as close to sinless as possible. You should endeavor to live your life according to Scripture, line by line, precept by precept. That's what you should do. But you're not saved because you do that. You're saved as a result of the grace of God being applied to your life and the forgiveness of your sin being placed upon you so that you have the righteousness of Christ and then you try and live out that righteousness. Get it right because this man was going to see Jesus in paradise. He didn't have a chance to go back and make everything right with everyone, did he? He didn't get to go try and resurrect the dead that he killed because it appears that he might have been a murderer. He was certainly a thief. He had been an insurrectionist. He got to make none of that right. Not one bit of it did he get to make right. Matter of fact, in a couple of hours, he would be dead himself. Can you imagine that very day? Jesus grabs hold of this guy's hand and says, it's time to go. And they go to paradise. Notice what Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say heaven. He said paradise. Abraham's bosom. Luke 16 is the reference. We've already covered this. He was going to go to the abode of the dead. And then Sunday morning, this man was resurrected with Jesus. He took off for heaven. Hallelujah. Why? Because one day I'm going to be resurrected too. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen? And he who lives and believes in me, though he or she will die, yet he or she shall live. Do you believe this? Amen? It's the whole reason that Easter matters, church. We have a live Savior. His name is Jesus. And finally, we see some mighty miracles as we close. And now it was about the sixth hour, verse 44, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Jesus is put on the cross at noon. At nine, excuse me, at noon, transitions over to this final three hours. 
the sun is darkened and the veil of temple, the temple is torn in two. Matthew's gospel reminds us that it was from the top to the bottom. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, I want to show you something very minor, very small. You might miss it. When Jesus cried out initially, what did he say to his father? He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He now cries out, Father, why is that? He had been suffering at the hands of man. He was paying the penalty of a righteous God. He was bearing the wrath of the sins of the world on himself. He knew that Father God had to punish sin. And now he's crying out, Father, I'm coming home. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So that when the centurion, such a beautiful picture, those of you with military experience, first thank you for serving this country. But most of you with military experience know that the toughest cookies in the military are not the generals. It's the platoon sergeants, the drill sergeants. It's those that are non-commissioned officers, the ones that are really battlefield hardened, the ones that have been there, done that, the ones that very often have more than one purple heart. It's the frontline people. That's what the centurions were. They were the drill instructors of their day. They were captains of 100, a platoon sergeant. A group of men responded to this one guy, and this one guy took the penalty of the actions of the whole group. This one battle-hardened centurion that had seen everything sees this. When he saw what had happened, He glorified God. He had seen Rome's power. He had seen Rome's might. He had seen men die by no doubt the hundreds if not thousands. He had seen brutality. He had seen violence. He had seen wealth. But when he saw this, when he saw Jesus say, Father, Forgive them. He had never seen that before. Oh, he had seen the shouts of the victories. He had seen the cries of agony on the battlefield. He had seen bravery. But he had never seen an innocent man die for the guilty. And he too cried out to the same God. He glorified God saying, certainly, this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. No one could see this and not have some reaction. The question is, what reaction? When you read this and recognize that there have been countless millions of people go to their deaths for this specific narrative. 
And they still are today. Not here in America so much. But if you travel to Iran, you travel to parts of Turkey, you travel to Indonesia, there are many places you travel to China, simply being too sold out for Jesus can cost you your life still to this day. And yet people still die for the name of Jesus. Church. That's why Peter said, there is no other name under heaven. There isn't one. There's no competing truth to this truth because this is the only one of one. Jesus, God's own son, died for you. Died for me. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. It wasn't just the torment of the first three hours. It wasn't just the blood of the Garden of Gethsemane. There's these miracles that happen. The sun is darkened. It's blotted out. The veil is torn. Mind-boggling, because that veil literally said, stay out. That's what the veil actually was. It was a separation. An impenetrable wall that could only be passed through once a year on Yom Kippur. And the high priest would do everything he could to not die himself But just in case there was any sin in his life, it's mind-boggling when you actually think about it. Now imagine you are carrying the fate of a whole nation and their collective ability to sin as you go through that veil. You think you might be a little terrified? Maybe that you missed something, someone wasn't honest, that you hadn't prepared well enough. The high priest actually had a garment, and on the bottom of the tunic, the outer coat, were a series of bells shaped like pomegranates. And around his ankle, a scarlet cord. The reason the cord was there was it was long enough that it extended back into the holy place. Not the holy of holies alone, but the holy place. In other words, where the table of showbread was, where the altar of incense stood, and where the giant menorah stood the place where the priest could go and offer up prayers, that cord went back through the curtain into a place where normal people could go. Why? In case the high priest messed up and was killed in the presence of God for offering profane fire, for offering an unfit sacrifice, for not having it right. Do you understand why it was important now that Matthew's gospel said it was torn from the top to the bottom? God said, no more separation. My son has paved the way. All who desire to enter into the mercy of the Lord can come. Church, think about it. What said stay out now opens and says come in. What said you can't meet these standards now says 
Jesus met those standards for you. Come in. What was only available before, once a year, was now available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The curtain was torn and grace was available. Amen? Hallelujah. The centurion's soul. And so I just say to you as we close, if you'd stand with me. Don't be afar off. Maybe you're here today. Perhaps there's someone here in the sanctuary right now. But you've been standing afar off. You, you can't quite make that leap of faith to say, I believe. Can I just remind you that that thief didn't have all the answers? He didn't have all the answers. Every single question in life that he probably wanted an answer to, he didn't have any of them. But he had the one thing he needed. He knew that Jesus Christ was Lord. And maybe some of you today need to just simply say, Jesus, I'm confessing you as Lord. Please save me. Please forgive my sin. Accept what Jesus said from the cross. Father, forgive them. Because if you do, you'll be saved. You can go to heaven. You can go where that thief eventually went. He went from paradise to heaven. You can go where the centurion went from beat up in the military to heaven. All you need to do is ask. But you have to ask. So let's bow our hearts and our heads. If you're watching online, if you don't know Christ, now's the time. He'll give you the answers. We'll send you some helps along the way. We'll meet with you. We'll talk with you. Try and answer those questions later. But you need to invite him in. Father, we who already know you, again reaffirm that truth. Jesus, you are my Lord. You're my Lord. I want these people to know it, those watching online, to know it. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you that that cry from the cross was for Jeff. Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me, cleansing me and writing my name in your wonderful book of life where it cannot be blotted out. Thank you, Jesus, for that. For those that don't know you, Lord, right now by your spirit, would you convince and convict of your sin and righteousness to these people. Lord, the things that they've done that they need to ask you for forgiveness for, and would you send your spirit to minister the truth of your gospel and your grace. Father, help us to live this way. Help us to love this way. Help us to preach this way and teach this way so that the world can know what that centurion knew, which was you are the Savior and the Lord. We love you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.